0: Welcome to the Daily Standard podcast. It's February 27, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Jim Swift and Christine Rosen of the Weekly Standard. Christine is the new managing editor of the Weekly Standard, so congratulations on that, by the way. Thanks so much. You'll learn how to herd the cats over there.
1: Here's hoping. Hey, bu-
0: uh, before we get into the news of the day, I got something in my email box yesterday from Judge Roy Moore. Yes, that Roy Moore. I don't know why I'm on his email list, Uh, you know, the accused pedophile, defrocked judge, failed Senate candidate. Judge Moore sent me an email wanting me to know that he was endorsing a candidate in the U.S. Senate race in Missouri, a guy named Cortland Sykes, absolutely no relation. Have you you heard of Cortland Sykes? Do you know about this guy at all?
2: As a former Missourian, unfortunately, I do.
0: Okay, so Moore, Moore is saying that Sykes is, not me, the America's boldest, most outspoken candidate on issues you care about the most. Um, I'm just reading one of the many stories about him. GOP Senate candidate post deranged screed on women's rights. This is the guy that Roy Moore is endorsing. He's the one who says, uh, uh, Cortland Sykes, I want to come home to a home cooked dinner at six every night, one that she fixes and one that I expect one day to have daughters learn to fix after they become traditional homemakers and family wives. I don't want them to grow up into career obsessed banshees who forgo home life and children and the happiness of family to become nail biting, manophobic, hell bent feminist. She devils who shriek from the tops of a thousand tall buildings that they uh that they think they could uh, have leaped over in a single bound had men not suppressed them. I actually cleaned that up because it was pretty much illiterate stuff. Uh, well,
2: so, you know he uh, went to Harvard. Uh, Harvard Extension here, School.
0: Here here's here's the thing. Is there some weird vortex of craziness out there? Some sort of magnet of nutbaggery where these guys find one another now yeah. in The conservative movement? It's
1: called Reddit for some of them. But, I mean, I wouldn't know. I'm a she-devil and banshee. And I'm thinking that that's probably um, has to do a little more with his uh, personal proclivities than it does. The idea that you would publicly pronounce that you want your daughters to be raised to become happy housewives uh, rather than banshees is uh, problematic, as they say. Yeah. and,
0: and, And the fact that he's hooked up with Roy Moore and he's got this long email where he goes through and he defends Roy Moore, the... You know, the, oh God, look at this one. It's a you know, fake accusation plan. This is from Cortland Sykes. Now they think they have a formula to destroy conservatism for 2018 and beyond. The fake accusation plan, they will use hired victims, in quotes, women who take money paid in cash or in fame to start in last minute pop up stories, that's also in quotes. Written too late to defend, no matter the stories are invented, no matter the women are paid. We can't let election thieves like the Washington Post or Bezos loot America, blah, 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 um, You know, what's interesting about this is, is that it's it's almost as if there is a subculture of the most bizarre, unelectable candidates in America, and they, they get together, I don't know, you know, at a bowling alley at night and, and, and you know, swap theories.
1: It would make for an excellent reality show, perhaps, rather than uh, if they instead of seeking elective office, perhaps.
0: You know, that would be an improvement, which brings me to what I wanted to ask you guys about. Uh, Ten years ago today, William F. Buckley Jr. passed away. And this is an occasion to look back on uh, on Buckley's legacy. But I want to ask you this. I'll start with you, Jim. What would William F. Buckley Jr. think about where we are today, and I'm not just talking about this Cortland Sykes thing, I'm talking about CPAC, uh, the era of Trump. What, What do you think Buckley would make of what conservatism has become in 2018?
2: I think it's a little bit of a conundrum because uh, the, the movement he he worked so hard to help create has, has shifted and changed so much in the decades since his death. Um, you know, I mean, Buckley was a quasi-populist. I mean, he, he once said something along the lines of he, he wanted the first 2,000 names out of the phone book running the federal government, or I'm, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, mm-hmm. it, I don't remember the exact quote, rather than, you know, just kind of having bureaucrats. But on the other hand, uh, you know, he was... Um, uh, very um, good about policing the crazy and trying to to force the crazies out of the right and not being uh, having us associated uh, with the crazy folks uh, uh, at the time, uh, the birchers. And uh, you know we have lots of birchers in our midst. And when I worked on the hill, it was it was like full moons would bring out the crazy. Trump is the full moon, and you know we're, we're this. The cycle of a lot of crazy candidates, the Paul Nellons of the world, the Cortland Sykes, and the Roy Moores—it's—it's it's not going to go away. It's he, in a way, his 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 um, sp- special candidacy uh, has, has, has has empowered the crazy.
0: That was interesting that you describe him as a quasi populist, and I I know, I know the quote about the going into the phone book, but um, William F. Buckley Jr. would also have been regarded very much as an elitist, wouldn't he?
1: But. He was, But he was a gentleman combatant, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. would get down in the trenches when it came to argument, but there was always a, an overriding civility, which certainly I think was read by uh, the people whom he defeated in debate as elitism. But I, I would call it civility in a gentlemanly uh, way of going about his arguments, which uh, is sorely lacking in debates today.
0: I don't think it's uh, tremendously speculative what he would think about what's going on. Not merely because he wrote about uh, Donald Trump, but because I think he rec- would recognize many of the uh, you know mouth breathers who have returned to uh, prominence uh, in the, on the conservative movement. I mean, these are people that that he he would recognize from the fever swamps the the con- you know the conspiracy theorists, uh, the, uh, the the the, the quasi birchers, the nativists, all of those folks that he worked so hard to expel from the movement, to to have them back. Um, Would William F. Buckley Jr. ever have tweeted, do you think, Jim? I saw someone speculating about that this morning.
2: Well, you know, it's one of the funny things when people write in and they're not happy with our magazine. They they say uh, William F. Buckley Jr. would be turning over in his grave if he saw what the Weekly Standard had become, (laughs) incorrectly (laughs) thinking, of course, that he founded our magazine, uh, which he didn't, of course. Not, you know, working at the mantle of Buckleyism and not having met or known the man. I think back to his book, which when I uh, transitioned from political Senate work to the lucrative world of print journalism, I read his, his collection of letters called Cancel Your Own Goddamn Subscription. And, you know, one of the things I found liberating is that in a way, you know, you always kind of have to be nice to constituents, but you don't always have to be nice to people who you know have already canceled their subscription. What are they going to do? Unsubscribe twice? You know, and that was that was his famous letter and the, the title of the book. But he was it was a really witty guy. And I don't know from the little I know of him, I can see the appeal of the kind of the short snippy kind of witty retorts that Twitter is often known for but you know he was he was a, he was a deep thinker and yeah. not a lot of deep thinkers on twitter
0: yeah this is uh this is one of the perfect questions because it is completely unverifiable and unanswerable we will absolutely never know but the great thing about uh, since you mentioned about canceling the subscriptions the great thing about twitter is that not only can you block morons on twitter You you can you can mute them and and every once in a while when I'm kind of down about social media I think about all the people that I have muted who are out there screaming into the void, you know hurling insults just completely into uh, Into uh, into oblivion Um, You know the 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 fallout continues from CPAC and I was uh, I was off yesterday I didn't have a chance to talk about uh, the remarkable moment when Mona Charon um called out CPAC for inviting a proto-fascist uh, Marion le Pen to speak, and and also uh, called out the hypocrisy of uh, many people on our side about uh, women's rights and the way that she was booed um and jeered and and had to be apparently escorted from CPAC by security agents. You know, i I, I guess what's really remarkable is you don't have to be that old. To remember when someone like Mona Sharon would have been absolutely at the heart of the conservative movement as a mainstreamer. And what we saw over the weekend is is how people like Mona Sharon really don't have a place really at the seat of uh, CPAC. Uh, your thoughts about that, Christine.
1: Mona's wonderful, and uh, she, she wrote a, a terrific follow-up opinion piece in the New York Times about her experience at CPAC, and um, you're absolutely right. There's there's something startling about a mainstream conservative woman like Mona being booed off the stage at CPAC for stating the truth, and one thing I loved about her reaction uh, to the events there was the fact that she said that she said this should not happen when you speak the truth to the people who are supposed to be your comrades in political arms, and um, you know she one of the things she did very well and it's extremely important for conservatives to heed this advice. She said it's it, we have to police our own if we're going to talk about the excesses of for example the Me Too movement uh, going after people accusing them without giving them you know fair hearing etc um, etc cetera, et cetera, then we absolutely Absolutely must call to account the men in the conservative movement who've done the same thing. And, you know, she pointed, obviously, to people like Roy Moore and to the president himself. And for that, she was uh, cast out. Um, And I think uh, good for her. She was very brave to do it. And uh, they she even expressed her surprise that they invited her in the first place because she's been very clear about her views about the president and some of the people who've worked for him and whom he supported. So she's absolutely right. And policing our own has become, an unfortunately, almost full-time job for a lot of conservatives.
0: And, and I think that is, is crucial. I had a conversation with somebody uh, the other day and I, t- I tried to make the argument that uh, you understand that cpac is not the conservative movement that there is a conservative movement out there that was not represented by cpac and the response i got was well look at the polls uh what something like uh, you know 80 90 percent of republicans uh, are supporting what's going on right now um but clearly the cpac has made a decision um and under and let's let's call him out by name i mean matt schlapp you know, there's nothing inevitable about the fact that he would uh, turn that basically into a uh, a Trumpist cheerleading uh, section. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the governors are in town, right? The governors are in, uh, in in Washington, D.C. Were there any governors that even spoke at CPAC? The number of elected officials was extraordinary, extraordinarily small. So you could have had a more representative uh, cross section of conservative elected officials. And they and they chose not to do that. I don't think
2: CPAC is someone who's gone, geez, maybe eight or nine times now. Uh, I, I skipped this year. I, I went over and watched. Uh, I met some people at National Harbor, as we mentioned in a previous podcast. But CPAC, I don't think, has ever truly been representative of the conservative movement as a whole. It's, it's the same thing like when people call congressional offices. It, not, that is not also a representative cross sample of constituents. Lots of people have jobs. And they work and they don't have time real to, lives. Yeah, to yeah. email their legislator or call their legislator. And, you know, a lot of most of the things are like repeat callers. You know, the people who can afford to fly to Washington, D.C. for four days and, you know, stay at a pricey hotel are college students who are getting it subsidized or retirees. A lot of people in between that kind of have the time. But, you know, the guy who owns a McDonald's franchise in Lenexa Park, Kansas, is probably not taking off four days to go to CPAC. Conservative guy in Mobile, Alabama, who... Runs a uh, truck repair business probably can't take four days off to go to CPAC. I've never really bought the, the assertion that this this is the movement. No, I mean it's, this is about who had money to come and and other things. It's always about money.
0: All right, I want to talk about uh, the president as an action figure. The comments he made yesterday, but I want to give a shout out to, to one of our sponsors, uh, the RX Bar. Uh, interestingly enough, I was flying back yesterday from New York, and I was at the I was at the airport. And realized they weren't going to give me any food on the airplane, so uh, I, you know, saw them in one of the RX bars and knew that they were one of our uh, sponsors. And uh, you know, frankly, it is—they they, are—they're really delicious. It's a whole food protein bar, so you think you're just being virtuous, but the bars are made with 100% whole ingredients. Um, you know, back in 2013, RX Bar called BS on other protein bars because. There wasn't a protein bar out there that wasn't full of artificial ingredients, fillers, preservatives. So they set out to create a new kind of protein bar with a few simple, clean ingredients where every ingredient serves a purpose. Uh, So it's like eating three egg whites, two dates, six almonds. They come in 11 delicious flavor varieties. I picked up about four of them, figuring that uh, you know, I'm just going to be on a plane uh, uh, for uh, you know, a bunch of time over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so some of the, the flavors include uh, chocolate, sea salt, peanut butter, blueberry, mint chocolate, and more. For uh, We have a special offer for listeners right now for 25% off your first order. Visit rxbar.com slash standard. Enter promo code standard. Again, that's rxbar.com slash standard. And enter promo code STANDARD for 25% off. All right, I mentioned the governors were in town. The president uh, spoke to a group of them and is pushing his idea to arm teachers, although he's arguing not all teachers, just the ones who are uh, natural shooters. And he made this comment about, uh, as, he, as he doubled down on his criticism of the sheriff's deputies who uh, reportedly, allegedly, did not go into the school during the shooting. This is what the President had to say. All right. The way they performed was, frankly, disgusting. They were listening to what was going on. The one in particular, he was then, he was early, then you had three others that probably a similar deal, a little bit later, but a similar kind of a thing. You know, I really believe you don't know until you test it, but I think I I really believe I'd run in there even if I didn't have a weapon. And I think most of the people in this room would have done that, too, because I know most of you. Okay, Jim Swift, your reaction, the president saying that he he doesn't know for sure, but he would have gone in there. He would have taken a bullet for those kids.
2: He always prefaces these things with, I believe, or I'd like to think, and, and, and other sorts of, you know, strange qualifiers. And he, he always does this and uh, on, on a lot of his claims or his promises and whatnot. I'll just like to take a step back. And I don't mean this personally, because I'm, I'm overweight mm-hmm. and out of shape myself. I've never seen the man run. I mean, I've seen him golf and he rides golf carts, but I've never seen the man run. I saw Bill Clinton run to McDonald's. Bush was a runner and a biker. Obama was less about, I mean, he was a basketball guy, but I don't think I've ever seen a uh, president physically run.
0: Look, the, the the reality is that that, and and again, I'm not, this is not a defense at all of the of the officers because you know you put on that badge and th- this is a, a minimum requirement that that you do your job. But on the other hand, all the rest of us, you always have that question in your mind, every single man and woman. What would you do under those circumstances? And the honest answer is that none of us actually know. There's no way to know, which is why. When we see a hero, somebody who's actually done this, we give them so much respect because, you know, at that moment of testing, they answered it. So you this, this is the ultimate, you know, blowhard at the end of the bar. Oh, I would have done it. I would have beaten the guy up. I would have done it. You know, and there's a certain amount of disrespect there because you don't know. And it is an extraordinary thing for, for men and women to go toward the sound of gunfire, you know, and, and for, for, for Donald Trump. To say that, I, I suppose. Look, I mean, we're used to the megalomania, we're used to the ego, but that was that was an extraordinary, a cringeworthy moment, especially given his own history of denigrating the heroism of others, like John McCain, Christine.
1: Well, I think one of the reasons that his comments to the governor's, besides just being egregious, um, have been getting a lot of attention is that it's it's this specific situation, right? So you're absolutely right that the kind of people who run towards gunfire have generally, we hope, been trained to keep their calm and to rush into danger and to help those of us who rely on them for protection. and. This is a case in Florida where the police officer failed to do that. And I know he's making a whole round of excuses today about, oh, this was my training, et cetera, et cetera. But I think one of the things that Donald Trump is unfortunately canny about doing is filling a void. And here's a void where there's a lot of conversation about why these kids weren't weren't um, helped sooner and why wasn't this prevented? And and his megalomania, as you say, encourages him to step forth and say, well, of course, I'd like to believe I would have done that. Jim's absolutely right. I mean, the man is one of the least physically fit and active presidents we've ever had. Um, I actually train in martial arts. So I can say that if you're trained in any sort of combat or defense technique, it takes years and years and hours and hours of practice. And even then, when faced with an opponent, you'll often panic. So the idea that our president, who's constantly surrounded by security and pretty much sedentary, would rush into a school to rescue children is outrageous. But I think what he's doing is papering over the much larger issue of why we weren't able to protect these children, why the people who should have been trained to do their job didn't do it.
0: Okay. So, Christine, I didn't want to stop right there. You've been trained in martial arts?
1: Yes, I trained in Aikido, which is a Japanese martial art.
0: So one of the reasons you were named managing editor is because you can kick Fred Barnes' ass?
1: Well, it's a little secret. I mean, it was buried on my resume, but somebody must have seen that, yes.
0: Jim, do you know this? <laughs> I mean, do you understand what what this woman sitting next to you can do?
2: Now, I think I might have been transported
0: into the man in the high castle. <laughs> yes, <laughs>
1: Yes, they do. Excellent taquito on that, actually. <laughs> that, that, by
0: the way, that's an outstanding program. I, 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 I highly recommend it. Well, let's talk about the, the Broward Sheriff. It, it, there are distractions on top of distractions here, but uh, the uh, the behavior, the, the performance of Steve Israel, who is the sheriff who was on with uh, Jake Tapper and One of the most embarrassing interviews I have seen in a long time where he's asked and leaving aside whether the sheriff's deputies went in during the shooting or not, because that's a factual situation that we'll we'll you know, we will uh, work through. But there's no question about that, that there were dozens of warnings about this young man that the sheriff, the sheriff's office uh, either fumbled or ignored or whatever. And when Steve Israel is is on that interview with Jake Tapper and he's asked whether he has any responsibility, all I'm hearing, and it seemed, by the way, kind of Trump is there saying, no, we've done amazing things. I have had amazing leadership. He takes responsibility for nothing. Um, so so the, 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 the criticism of local law enforcement appears to me to be completely valid and relevant in this particular case. Do you agree, uh, Jim?
2: I do. And I think we have to all remember that. Um Sheriff Israel is a politician, he's an elected politician, who actually has control over nearly half of Broward County's budget. And I found out an interesting fact from one of his previous elections, he's actually buddies with Roger Stone, so maybe he got the Roger Stone uh, advice uh, of permanent offense. Roger Um, Stone media training. Yeah, (laughs) the Roger Stone School
0: of Media Training. That's actually true. It's, It's like everything's jumped the shark. Roger Stone shows up everywhere. You know, next we're going to find out that what Carter Page was was a consultant to this this department. Have you been watching the uh, the students on television, by the way? Um, the uh, uh, very, very impressive students. I, I really I got I got to say here, I'm, I'm I'm wincing as I bring this up because I'm really impressed by them. And obviously, they've changed the debate. But, you know, there's a reason why um, it's dangerous for anybody in American politics to rely on 16 and 17 year olds. To be uh, to be spokesman and to deal with with complicated issues, and I I certainly you know don't want to get into denigrating what they went through in any way whatsoever. But does there come a point at which we we we've pushed these uh, these young people into a position that perhaps is uh, shall we say uh, you know slightly above their pay grade? I
1: I would. I think so. Um, and again, as you said, without without denigrating anything that they're attempting to do or their experience, I think it's been interesting to watch the activist groups tiptoe around this issue. Uh, so, you know, George Clooney wants to give half a million dollars to support this march that they're going to make on Washington in, in March. And everybody is, is rushing to say, oh, but, you know, it's it's all about the children. The children are in charge. It's the kids who are running this. It's their show. But, of course, it's not. this is a this is um a a longtime activist um group of people who now have new spokespeople, not direct spo- spokespeople, but trying to figure out how to, and I'm sorry, there's no other way to to say this to use children to promote a cause has long been um, uh, a, a PR nightmare for activist causes. And I think it should be, dealt with cautiously as well as you know from a practical standpoint, um, you know many of these kids are talking about getting out the vote to start to get gun control legislation on the books. Um, look at voter turnout among young voters for the last I don't know 50 years and I think you have your answer to whether or not there's going to be long-term change driven by children.
0: Well, I was watching some of the, uh, the the criticism of one of the young men uh, was named uh, Hog, um, who, who was who was making a television appearance, and 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 his his response was, eh, I, I would say, you know, less than completely coherent, suggesting that you know Governor Scott needed to be held, the one held responsible for this deputy not going into the school because, of course, you know he was the boss of the sheriff's department, which is not true. But then somebody else made a point, and I I kind of took it personally, because you know I was involved in politics when I was a kid. And I'm trying to think about the kinds of nonsense that I might have spewed if I was 16 or 17 years old and suddenly thrust into the spotlight on all of these talk shows. And however sincere and knowledgeable that I would be, it's uh, it, it it's you know, I, in fact, in fact, when I was 16, I gave some interviews on television, which I sure hope nobody ever digs up. And having said that, I probably guarantee that somebody will, but. Uh, uh, you know the kids have done um, you know a marvelous job, but the, there there does come a point where you go, um, you know, just don't 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 push them through the curtain when they're quite not quite ready.
2: Some of the kids, I mean, there I think a handful, maybe five or so, that are the, the kind of top media faces of 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 Stoneman Douglas and the Parkland shooting that have become activists. Hog Hog being one of them, and another one whose name I forget. She she starred already in an in a gun control ad. And for all of the kind of vitriol that was directed by a lot of the students at Dana Lash, and I'm, I'm not making any apologies for Dana or the NRA mm-hmm. or, or what they've become as of late. You know, that could be its own show with my views on that. We've, we've talked about that in the past. In a way, they are becoming their own Dana Lash because they uh, believe strongly in this. And so does Dana Lash. She, she is someone who has been a talk radio host in St. Louis, of all places that I knew before she worked on The Blaze and, and did many other things. I mean, she, she's a very experienced arguer. And has a very interesting backstory and life story. These young folks are months out of AP US government, and now are becoming the premier spokespeople for folks who are against the Second Amendment. So let's be honest; they're against the Second Amendment. They're they're not pro Second Amendment people, or just curtailing it, uh, and that's fine. They're entitled to have those views, and it's it's. I don't think that it's irresponsible to do that. I mean, I, I, like you, was politically active when I was young. I gave pro-life speeches during the March for Life at my Catholic school, you know. Um, and I was nowhere near as eloquent as those children are. And I, I wish I wish them the best in their career. If this is what they want to make into their career, I, I don't agree yeah. with them. But Dana is used to the abuse that people give her for being out in the public sphere. I don't think these kids are used to that. They're already going through a hell of a lot having been uh, survivors of a senseless tragedy, and I I don't want to pile on to them. I I, I wish them strength in in dealing with a lot of the, the blowback that they're going to get for becoming public figures. And when you become a public figure overnight, most people aren't equipped to handle it well.
0: Yeah, and 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 of course, it's 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 a new world. And again, I I kind of I guess I'm used to feeling like a political orphan here because uh, I think of myself as being pro Second Amendment, but I don't think I would personally have any problem with uh, bringing back the ban on uh, on assault weapons. Does that mean that I am now anti anti Second Amendment?
2: According to some of our listeners, yes.
0: yeah no, no, I, I, I get that. I, you know, look, I, I spent 23 years on talk radio talking about this and, and uh, that's why I call this a ghoulish Groundhog day because I, I feel like every time something like this happens it is exact. I, I could almost script out every single response from either side. Uh, Christine, Jim, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it very, very much uh, and thanks for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. We will be back and do this all over again tomorrow.